From iCare Partners, this is the Doc to Doc podcast. Clinical discussions with our team of world-class eye care professionals across the country. Through connectedness and continuing education, we help patients see their absolute best for life. Your host is Dr. Lori Preventure, a glaucoma specialist and cataract surgeon at the Cincinnati Eye Institute. For this episode of the Dr. Doc podcast, I'm thrilled to have Dr. Chris Riemann with me. Dr. Riemann is a vitreoretinal surgeon at the Cincinnati Eye Institute. Dr. Riemann, welcome, thank you for coming. Can you give us a little background of your history with ECP to start? Sure, um, so I, uh, I was lucky enough to join CEI in 1999 after uh, I finished residency and fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic. And, uh, and it's been a fantastic run for the past 23 years. I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to talk to you about uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. Absolutely, so let's jump right in then. Vitreoretinal surgery using endoscopy is your passion. You're very well known for it. Give us an intro. What is it? How do we use it? So Lori, endoscopes have been around for a very, very long time. There's a gazillion uh, industrial applications from looking inside of clocks to looking inside of jet engines to, to looking inside of uh, internal combustion engines. Um, and, and there's a, a ton of medical uh, applications for endoscopy. We've all seen pictures of the inside of the human body. If there's, if there's an orifice somewhere in the human body, some doctor has put a camera in there and taken a look. And, 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 and there's wide-ranging medical applications for endoscopy. And it turns out that way back to the 1950s, um, when we started making incisions in eyeballs, uh, people started putting cameras through those incisions because um, ophthalmology is really, especially vitreoretinal surgery, is all about what you see and what you do about what you see. If you, you can't fix what you can't see, and oftentimes the endoscope um, gives us the ability leverage. It gives us the ability to leverage visualization to do what's surgically undoable, right? So typically we operate looking through the cornea, but uh, there are instances where the endoscope is the only way that we can see. And the technology of the endoscope has been around, the kind of the, the modern endoscope has been around since the 1970s, 1980s, and, and it, the technology continues to improve. And at the Eye Institute, like it, you know, so many ECP practices, we take care of a lot of uh, tertiary quaternary care stuff. And, um, and, that's, and that's why I use the endoscope, because that sometimes gives us the ability to, to do the undoable. Is that how you got into it? Is out of a, an urgency of need? Yeah. yeah. So when lamellar keratoplasty was a thing, one of our cornea colleagues um, outside the uh, Eye Institute, tried to float a lamellar uh, corneal graft onto, uh, in an aphakic patient. And the lamellar cornea graft ended up sitting on the macula. So this is a healthy cornea except for it needs an endothelial graft. There's no view because the cornea is cloudy. How do I get without doing a PK and putting on a temporary keratoprosthesis, how do I get that lamellar cornea graft 
back onto the cornea. So the answer is I went in with the endoscope and with the endoscope at high mag you could see uh, you could see the, the, the graft you know happily sitting on the macula. I grabbed it, put it up against the cornea, did an air fluid exchange with the patient's supine and refloated the graft. It was, it was a 15 minute surgery that I was able to do because I could see with the endoscope and that patient went on to recover great vision. Got a secondary sutured lens a couple of months later, and and to this day is still seeing well. That's that, a great example. Yes, yes yeah. it was it was fantastic. Sounds like great applications. It can you have to see to be able to restore vision. Why isn't it more mainstream? Then what are the barriers to using this technology? So, Lori, the um, the, the problem with the endoscope is that even though the technology has been improving, um, it's kind of stuck in the 20, 25 year ago realm and you know there are challenges to using the endoscope uh, it's a very low resolution image so the best endoscope we have is a 17 kilopixel image a 17 kilopixel image is a 0.017 megapixel image a standard definition tv what i grew up watching cartoons uh, um, on saturday morning uh, uh, that machine that TV was a 0.3 megapixel image. The TV you grew up watching was a 1080p TV, right? Um, and that's a two megapixel image. And now you go into every Costco, and there, and, and and what you're seeing is a you know 4K TV. That's a that's an eight megapixel image, right? So a 0.017 megapixel image is what we're looking at. That's hard. There's also no stereo because it's just, you know, and, and so much of what we do has to do with depth. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that depth. So it's kind of a labor of love. It's difficult. But, you know, but there are some eyes for which it, it really makes a difference. Gives the option to patients who wouldn't otherwise have the option. What, so knowing that, knowing this is available, Practically speaking, how do we get patients to you? Who are the right patients to send in? How can we all work together to make sure these patients are at least getting access to the people that do offer this type of surgery? Sure. So, you know, there's there's a handful of us that do endoscopic vitreoretinal surgery um, in, across ECP. And, um, you know, the patients basically fall into three categories. Um, there's the patients with media opacity. So uh, medial opacity, patients that have a keratoprosthesis, patients that have a keratoprosthesis with a teratable retroprosthetic membrane, patients that have failed corneas, patients that have terrible medial opacity from trauma, where you're trying to do a posterior reconstruction through a cornea that's been mangled by a fish hook, for example. So the first group of patients is the medial opacity patients. So somebody comes in, there's a big RD, and, um, and the only way you can fix it is by doing a, a full thickness penetrating keratoplasty, a temporary keratoprosthesis, while the endoscope gives you another alternative. The second uh, group of patients are the patients with really anterior pathology. Anterior pathology like intraocular farm bodies that are sitting on the ciliary body or sitting on the pars plana. Um, and those, those can sometimes be very hard to, to, to visualize, even with wide-angle viewing systems um, for, for, for the retinal surgeons. Epiciliary membranes are another big one. So a multiply operated eye that's hypotenuse, that has low pressure, 
and and is losing axial length and is kind of you can kind of tell these are pre-tysicalized that are just on their way to collapsing into tysis. Sometimes if we get in there and, you know, after multiple PVR surgeries, anterior loop PVR, epiciliary membranes, you can't see those with standard visualization. It's very difficult sometimes. Well, with the endoscope, you can see it, and if you can see it, you can peel it. And there's some, there's really cool stuff that can be done there. Post-trauma secondary IOL uh, situations, um, you know, I had, you know, there's a, there's a video at, at Academy, actually, uh, that Dan Brill, one of our fellows, edited uh, and, and submitted, I think it might have won a prize, where, we, uh, where a patient had an old morture, 12 millimeter morture, IOL, iris prosthesis, had a trauma, both haptics of that morture fractured, and that 12 millimeter device is sitting on the macula behind dolman keratoprosthesis. So, you know, we made a 12 millimeter wound and pulled that thing out. That's fine, but you've got the sharp haptics that are still sutured to the ciliary sulcus. Well, we were able to point the endoscope into that eye, see those, cut the old Gore-Tex sutures, explant those haptics, and then put in a new CZ70 and a new uh, Custom Flex Iris prosthesis um, to, to give them glare control. Um, so very anterior pathology. And then the third group of eyes, for which the endoscope is unbe unbelievably beneficial, is eyes that I call the, the less is more eyes. Okay, so the alternatives to using endoscopy are um, super aggressive scleral depression to visualize a ciliary body where you're turning the eye inside out to be able to see things. It can be the temporary keratoprosthesis. Uh, uh, and there are some eyes where those maneuvers are just not viable. The eye won't survive getting beat up that badly in order to accomplish the surgical goals you're trying to accomplish. And uh, you know, eyes that have almost decompensated corneas, very ischemic diabetic eyes, eyes with intersegment ischemia, eyes uh, with uveitis. Those are eyes where kind of a less is more approach is better than, 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 than really beating them up. Yeah, as you speak, I keep thinking, Endoscopy sounds safer. Endoscopy sounds safer. It is. So instead of a temporary keratoprosthesis. That obligates you to a penetrating keratoprosthesis. That's a very, very high risk procedure. Yeah. Or like you said, aggressive scleral depression, those sorts of things that just put the eye through a lot higher risk, higher risk for intraoperative complications. Endoscopy sounds like a much safer alternative for these patients. Even if they don't have a lot to lose, still it's nice to be able to offer yeah. something alternative. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. It's so exciting, and I know seeing it live, working with you, it's been amazing to see what you can do with those low-resolution images despite the, the limitations there. And I do remember I had a TV with a dial on it, mm -hmm. so I'm not as young as you think. <laughs> but thank you so much. But you were much. very young when you had yes, that TV with a dial like on Yes, I was like a toddler, <laughs> yeah. So anyways, great to have you on. Thank you for sharing this with us, and we're lucky to have somebody with your talent set as part of this organization. Well, Lori, thank you uh, for the honor and privilege of talking with you today, and, uh, and it's really an honor and privilege for us, to, for all of us, to be here to do the things that we do for, uh, for the patients at ECP. The opinions expressed by the physicians in this podcast are solely the personal opinions of the providers and do not represent iCare Partners policy.